Most of us choose to go into healthcare because we have certain talents and there's something inside of us that simply feels good when we use those talents to care for others. But sometimes it hurts a lot to care. Although we train hard, it's almost inevitable that at some point in our career, we're going to participate in care that has a bad outcome. My youngest daughter is considering a career in healthcare. She was watching a birth on TV last week with wonder in her eyes and was considering choosing obstetrics. But then she said, wait a minute, I don't know if I could take it if something bad happened. Can't we all relate? Or what about when patients or their families are rude or abusive? Have you experienced that? Or what if we make an error that actually causes a bad outcome? When that happens, how does it feel? Listen to the voices of some of my Mayo Clinic colleagues. We all come into healthcare because we want to help people so much. We all know that we're human beings and that despite trying very hard to give as much as we can every single day, we're not perfect. Unfortunately, when we're involved in medicine, we often see bad outcomes. Sometimes we have no reason to expect them and sometimes, unfortunately, it's because of a mistake that we have made. I think that our training does well to prepare us to be excellent clinicians and excellent providers, but it really doesn't talk about dealing with the impact of being involved in these stressful or traumatic clinical events and how that affects us because we're human beings. We do need that help from others, but we're not always asking for it. I think as, as nurses and as professionals, as people in the medical and the healthcare profession, we tend to think we have to carry the weight of the world and do it silently and be almost a martyr for things. And there's a level of suck it up and take it that we all carry with us. And so I felt that it was just part of my job. I was gonna have to figure out how to deal with it on my own, how to suck it up and work my way through my feelings. The things, the traumas that we see, they never go away. They just sit under the surface until it's time for them to come back out. I was not sleeping. I was not eating. But again, I kept telling myself, it's fine. It's normal. No problem. You know, there's this term called second victim, which um, basically means, you know, the primary victim was the patient. The second victim was the person that, that was involved in that clinical event. And we often forget about those people. The hardest part for me, the biggest hurdle in that was I was so quick to brush away those concerns from others. You don't want to feel like that stuff can bother you or you, you have to be ready to run the next call. So it's hard to say, to admit to yourself, maybe I'm not ready. It never crossed my mind until I received a, an email from one of the help program volunteers reaching out to me to say, we understand that you've been through a traumatic experience and we would like to reach out and be here for you and help you through this. Whatever the case, because we care, bad outcomes are distressing for us as healthcare workers. Almost half of healthcare workers will experience the impact of these kind of events at least one time in their career. And what's the result? Well, many of us suffer in silence, emotionally with stress, anxiety, burnout, depression. Others struggle physically with increased heart rates. The anxiety and depression can end up affecting their personal lives, their relationships. They can be angry or cranky at work. They can change how they practice, not always in rational ways, sometimes resorting to very hyper-defensive medical care. Professionally, there can be increases in unplanned absences, and too many elect to avoid any further stress by leaving the medical profession entirely. It's exciting and fulfilling to care, but the reality is sometimes it just hurts a lot. My daughter's not wrong in being a bit afraid. It is kind of scary. And I think it tells us that we shouldn't go it alone. We need help. 
Studies looking into this problem clearly show that one of the missing elements to helping each other deal with the trauma of unwanted events is the ability to talk with peers about it. And it turns out that there's a lot known about how to help each other recover emotionally from this sort of trauma. It's evidence-based and it works. And so here today to tell us something about what we're doing at Mayo Clinic to support our colleagues are Robin Finney and Ashley Mush. I'm Dr. Timothy Morgenthaler. I'm the Vice Chair for Quality and Affordability. And co-hosting today's podcast is Sherry Nemec. Sherry? Hello, Dr. Morgenthaler. I'm Sherry Nemec, Consultation Relationship Manager for Quality at Mayo Clinic. The conversation with our guest today related to peer support for healthcare workers under duress is really a very timely and important topic. So you too. Thank you so much for sharing your time and wisdom with us today. I'd, I'd like our, our listeners to learn a little bit about you. Uh, Robin, would you be willing to share a little bit about yourself and your role at Mayo? Yeah, thank you, Dr. Morgenthaler. I am a certified registered nurse anesthetist here at Mayo. I spent the first five years of my career in the intensive care unit and the past 20 years as an anesthesia provider. During these years, I personally have been involved in some really difficult clinical events. And more commonly, I've witnessed the impact of these events on several colleagues involved in stressful or traumatic clinical situations. Talking to peers, people who oftentimes can relate can be extremely powerful. These anecdotal situations are what led me to develop and implement the HELP program. I now serve as the subject matter expert and one of the co-directors for this peer support enterprise-wide program. Wow, and we are so lucky to have you here today. Thank you. Also joining us today is Ashley Mush. Ashley, can you tell us a little bit about yourself, your role at Mayo and your involvement in this program? Yeah, definitely. And thank you for having me today. My name is Ashley Mush and I'm an employee well-being specialist. I have been working at Mayo Clinic now for about 10 years and I've been involved in a variety of different efforts promoting health and well-being to individuals throughout the organization. So I have a sincere passion and think it's so important to really be there and be able to provide offerings to support the emotional well-being of our employees. And my involvement in the health program is I serve as part of the operations team. So so a lot of my efforts involve that program awareness promotion and really focusing on diffusing this program across the enterprise. Fantastic. So well, let me start us off with a question. I know that the name of the program we've been talking about is appropriately enough called the HELP program. What is the HELP program? The HELP program stands for Healing Emotional Lives of Peers. And this is an evidence-based peer support program for any employee involved in a stressful or traumatic work-related event likely to evoke some form of distress. The goal of our program is to augment peer-to-peer -peer supportive outreaches in a timely manner to help normalize the post-event emotional experience. The time is now that we deal with this silent epidemic in healthcare rather than ignore it. Expand a little bit on this. You're saying you wanna normalize the post-event experience. Tell us what that means. Too often, affected individuals suffer in silence, and they think that they're all alone in dealing with the intense emotional labor associated with being involved in these events. By having peers, people who work alongside others in the trenches, people who oftentimes can relate to the emotional implications, reach out to these affected individuals, it allows our affected individuals to know that they're not alone and that they're experiencing normal reactions to an abnormal situation. 
I can so identify with that. I appreciate what you're saying. You know, you mentioned also a sense of urgency about it. So tell me about that. I mean, what is the essence of that urgency when it comes to an individual who's suffering? Yeah, our goal with the HELP program is to reach out within 24 to 72 hours of the event, mainly as an effort to mitigate the opportunity for affected healthcare providers to isolate themselves. So by having a logistical organizational supportive system in place, we have it set up so that there are significant interventions being taken by colleagues who understand what other colleagues are going through within that 24 to 72 hour time frame. So uh, this sounds like it's a pretty heavy logistical lift here. What do we have? 75,000 employees at Mayo Clinic. Now, maybe not all of them are patient facing, but you know we have a lot of people who are taking care of patients every day. Tell us a little bit about the size of the program at this point. Sure. We've been very fortunate to have representation from multiple disciplines and every professional role throughout the enterprise. We currently have over 600 trained peer supporters in the HELP program throughout the enterprise. Most of those individuals do come out of our Midwest institution and affiliated regional health systems. But like I said, I think we have trained almost a thousand individuals with about 600 of them voluntarily opting into serving as a peer supporter for colleagues involved in these difficult, stressful, traumatic clinical events. Wow, Robin, that's quite a robust program. And with so many people participating in that, that must have been quite a need. Can you talk a little bit more about the needs and what the program addresses? Absolutely. As Dr. Morgenthaler expressed earlier, you know, although we all went into healthcare to care for others, through the work that we do and the experiences that we have, it quickly becomes apparent that sometimes it truly hurts to care. Being involved in these types of events deeply impacts us not only as doctors, nurses, therapists, but also as human beings, oftentimes affecting both cognitive and physical domains. When you think about being involved in these types of events, most people respond with some feelings of heightened anxiety, shame, guilt, professional self-doubt. Others suffer from the inability to concentrate or inability to sleep. Too often, as we mentioned earlier, affected healthcare professionals find themselves dealing with this intense emotional labor in isolation. Unfortunately, some have been so deeply affected that they choose to leave their chosen specialty or even their professional role, while others may even turn to suicide. The evidence out there also demonstrates that the number one most desired form of post-event support by affected individuals is talking to their peers. Why is that? Well, peer support can be extremely powerful. When you think about it, it can be offered immediate in nature rather than calling an office and waiting for an appointment. You have a high degree of relatability, which offers an opportunity to normalize the post-event experience. And oftentimes, affected healthcare professionals aren't aware of our amazing supportive resources out there above that of peers, such as our employee assistance program, patient safety, and support from our chaplain colleagues. And in these supportive peer-to-peer -peer conversations, we talk about contact information for these additional resources, oftentimes linking affected individuals to these higher levels of very beneficial support. Robin, I wonder, we're all living in a very intense COVID environment. I think 
most people can appreciate that this has been an extremely stressful time to be a healthcare provider. And I suspect that most of us have seen outcomes that we wished we would have never seen. Are you seeing a lot of increase in the need for your program at this point? That's a great question and definitely relevant to the landscape of healthcare right now. We are seeing an uptick in activations related to COVID specific events. Yes. You know, when we first went live throughout the enterprise, it took a while to get the program out there and to demystify the process. And in such a large institution, we're still working on that. However, working in such uh, dynamic and stressful situations, healthcare professionals are experiencing ethical dilemmas and moral distress and compassion fatigue, unlike we've seen before. And so having an outlet, if you will, to reach out to and to be able to say, you know, I need to talk to somebody, the health program offers that opportunity. Over the last year, we went live across the enterprise in December of 2020. And between January and December of 2021, we had over 230 requests for peer support and we were able to mobilize enough trained peer supporters to offer peer support to over 600 healthcare professionals across the enterprise. Wow. Wow. A few years ago, I served as the Mayo Clinic patient safety officer. And I remember you and I engaging in some conversations back then because for a number of years, we were concerned about uh, the wellness of healthcare workers and how that was affecting patient safety and quality outcomes. Could you share a little bit of your views or maybe Ashley, your views on why is it that something like the health program would be important for safety and quality in healthcare? Absolutely. I'll answer this. And then Ashley, if you have something to add, that would be great. As members of the healthcare team are involved in these types of events, as we mentioned already, they are often overwhelmed with both emotional and physiological responses. Many have indicated that they have intense professional self-doubt. They constantly are haunted by reenactments of the event itself. And many indicate that they possess the inability to concentrate after being involved in these events, especially in that window of the first four to 24 hours of the event's occurrence. And when you think about that, if members of the healthcare team aren't provided with opportunities to unwind both emotionally and physiologically, that associated emotional labor intensifies. These heightened emotions contribute to enhanced burnout, depression, further isolation, loss of joy and diminished empathy. And when we talk about diminished empathy, it's diminished empathy towards our subsequent patients, towards our coworkers and the job that we once loved. All of these things can greatly decrease the quality of individualized care provided to our subsequent patients, increasing the likelihood of being involved in subsequent events and jeopardizing patient safety all of which have negative effects on us as healthcare professionals and our subsequent patients. And when you think about this, this is when our subsequent patients then become a third set of victims to that original stressful or traumatic clinical event. One other way that this contributes to contributing to quality and safety is that second victim experiences may also contribute to absenteeism and turnover intentions of affected individuals. And this is extremely costly to units, divisions, and institutions in both financial resources, but in, in that sense of community, which is important when delivering safe, quality care. 
After one year of having this program available to multidisciplinary colleagues within the Children's Center, the proportion of respondents who agreed to having turnover intentions was significantly lower compared to the proportion of respondents pre-implementation of this peer support program, which truly demonstrates the significant role that having the HELP program can have on mitigating personnel loss. And I would just add on to what Robin said, you know, in regards to looking at an employee being involved in some sort of traumatic or stressful work-related incident, that's certainly going to have many emotional and physiological implications that can come along with that. And I recently heard something that resonated with me. You can't just move on. You you need to unpack the bags first. And I think that speaks volumes to just recognizing Mm -hmm. that one, healing is a process, Two, I think overarching, looking at the landscape today, we certainly live in a very fast paced world. And it's kind of from one thing to the next, just kind of autopilot mode at sometimes. And it's important to take a step back and pause for a moment and just recognize, you know, that we're all human beings and we have emotions that come with it. So to uh, when we're faced with that stressor or that situation to make sure that we have that safe space. And and that's where I really see that power of peer support come in for an employee's emotional well-being is it provides that sense of comfort to have a place to speak to someone about that and validate what you've experienced. And then we think about bringing our best selves to work. We and, and just in general, we need to make sure that we're taking care of ourselves as well and our well-being so that we can bring that forward to our patients. And so I certainly think that's a, an important tie-in for the safety and quality. Yeah, Ashley, that's a good point. So, so much of what you talked about can be driven by culture and an organization. And at Mayo Clinic, we've invested for many, many years in creating that culture of safety. How does the help program create a sense of community and contribute to that culture of safety? Definitely. That's a great question, Sherry. And I'll answer that. And Robin, if you want to chime in as well. But I think with the HELP program, definitely having that sense of community, when you have that one-to-one peer support, you have that trust and that confidentiality piece too, when you're having that conversation and sharing how that event has had a, an impact on you. And really with the program, it creates this culture of well-being too, as Robin had alluded to earlier, really normalizing those feelings that you may, and emotions that you may have experienced. And you know, it's okay not to be okay sometimes. And we can experience this and and we're human as we go through it too. So I think that peer support aspect of the program really helps contribute to that culture of safety and sense of community as well. Thanks, Ashley. And I'll just add one more thing on how the health program really allows for opportunities to connect us as healthcare team members working in really complex systems by colleagues coming forth and reaching out in a proactive manner to colleagues involved in these really stressful or traumatic events, we share common experiences and we validate that what our colleague is feeling is normal. And so this really mitigates that intense isolation that too many people experience. So again, just really fostering a sense of community throughout the enterprise. One more way that when I think about this, the health program, you know, we have 600 individuals who have voluntarily opted into serving as peer supporters. So people who have heightened surveillance strategies and are ready and willing to offer peer support to hurting colleagues. We're fortunate to have such a huge number, but that's challenging in a way too to keep us connected and to maintain engagement. 
And so one of the things that we've done with the help of enterprise well-being is that we conduct quarterly engagement sessions. And these have been humbling and inspirational to bring multidisciplinary people together, you know, doctors, nurses, lawyers, patient safety officers, health unit coordinators, medical photographers, anybody who is a member of our healthcare team comes together and talks about what's working well for you as a peer supporter. How can we increase awareness? How can we support each other? What's not working well? And then we also offer 15 to 20 minutes of an educational component. Like we've talked about post-traumatic growth, you know, during COVID, how can we look at these difficult situations and grow together? Compassion fatigue. So it's been another way to really foster that sense of community. This program's a treasure. I appreciate it so much. Our, our time is getting close, but I just want to acknowledge a couple things. First of all, I know that it's taken you years to get the program to where it's at. It's a big lift. And so I'm just kind of wondering, you know, what would you suggest as nuggets to implement? There, there, a lot of our listeners may work at organizations that, you know, maybe haven't started the journey or they're just kind of starting it. What are your nuggets for improvement? How would you suggest they start? How do they get going? One of the biggest ways that you can be successful and have a sustainable peer support program is to really find that executive champion that is absolutely crucial to get an executive leadership individual on board, you know, share what's out there in the evidence, tell them why this is important and how it can contribute to enhancing the quality of care that the healthcare team administers to our patients. Another little tidbit is that we work within really intense cultures of silence. And so we need to start offering educational conferences, if you will, on the impact that being involved in stressful situations can have on healthcare professionals as human beings. And so at your departmental or divisional meetings, let's talk about this. Let's offer CEUs to really enhance personal and professional growth. And so that we can learn not only to be amazing doctors, nurses, therapists, but also learn how do we live life with the implications that being those very successful and competent professionals entails. I would just add to that. I think there's importance in spreading the word and just getting those conversations going. You know, when you have that program, letting employees know that it exists and what it entails. And also just to be patient and celebrate the successes along the way, kind of operationally. Again, there's a lot of different details day to day and kind of keeping that big picture perspective um, and recognizing with any program that there, it takes some time as well. And so just celebrating it along the way and continuing to share that information in many different venues and letting employees know that it's there and exists for them. This is such an important topic. And, you know, I think the news is full these days with the shortages of healthcare providers as we struggle with, uh, you know, not only being ill ourselves, but then the stress that's come along with this uh, pandemic and so forth. And what a timely subject and what a great program. I just want to thank you both, first of all, for just everything you've done to build and support the program and the many people who are helping our colleagues across Mayo Clinic. I uh, really appreciate the time that you've spent here today sharing with our listeners. I'm sad to say that we've come to the end of our podcast, but we're really glad you could join us. And we hope that the information that you guys have provided is insightful and valuable to our listeners. Again, Mayo Clinic's Key into Quality podcast aims to help you take some of those first steps to address important quality challenges in your organization. 
The development of this podcast is part of our effort to be a valued resource to healthcare organizations striving to improve. Our goal is to improve quality for patients and the populations that we all serve. Please let us know if you've enjoyed this podcast. If you did, let others in your organization know about it so that the information can be spread. Until next time, goodbye. Thank you.